So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Ah, it's so uh, good to uh, have a positive conversation, at least on Thursdays. That's when we take. <laughs> yeah, we we at least get one a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Nate Larkin here with our good friend David Hampton. Uh, life is rolling on. I assume, David, that you are staying busy there in your, uh, you know, addiction coaching, recovery coaching practice, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. Um, It is busy. And, you know, it's, uh, I always am cautious about, you know, when I, when I tell people that I'm busy, that means that other people aren't maybe doing so well, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I want to be, you know, sensitive to that, but there's a whole lot going on out there. um, As you know, with respect to, uh, you know, we're finally, I think, uh, as we come out of this kind of COVID, uh, where, where COVID is quite so pronounced in our, mm-hmm, in our mm-hmm. society, um, we're finally experiencing people giving themselves the permission to, uh, address what they've been storing up for the last two years. I think yeah, it's sort of a yeah. residual, it's sort of a residual swing. People thought maybe we'd be slammed during COVID and, you know, uh, doing remote uh, sessions and Zoom and things like that. We, you know, we were busy. But I think this this um, post-acute COVID yeah, syndrome, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll name it here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <You> know, that's <laughs> my, that's, if you hear that anywhere, I thought of it. So Okay, good, uh, good, good. But uh, I, want, I want a nickel for every time somebody says it. But Post-acute COVID symptom. Okay. Yeah. Syndrome. 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 There, there you go. go. Okay. But okay. I, I think it's a thing. And, um, okay. you know, people are finally giving themselves permission to address what they've been storing up for two years um, yeah. and experiencing fear, anxiety, uh, relational issues, not leaving uh, the house from the people who trigger us on and on. And uh, so anyway, that's a, a long ass answer, but it it really is what I'm seeing. I'm just seeing a lot of pent up residual angst that is finally uh, trying to find a place to, uh, you know, find a, find a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you know, David, I'm quite active in the Samson society. We run uh, daily meetings uh, online right. and, and uh, multiple meetings every day and, and newcomer meetings every day. Cause you've got to, attend a newcomer meeting to get cleared and get an orientation before you can get into a virtual group. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, man, we're seeing a lot of new guys come through the door. And my conversations with those men, and by the way, I've noticed that over time, it seems as though the ages slowly are skewing younger and younger. Right. Um, uh, A lot of them uh, come to us because of a long term battle with uh, uh, online pornography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been my story. So, and mm-hmm. that's where a lot our referrals come a lot from people working in that field. Yeah. However, however, lately I've started to think that maybe we need to broaden our focus a little bit because this problem is is far larger than mere porn addiction. And I'm tempted to want to start talk more and more about technology addiction, of oh, which yeah. porn of which porn is a subset. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, but, but what, uh, so those of us who've gotten snagged into online porn, it is, uh, uh, it's a virtual experience that takes you out of real life. Mm-hmm. It's a way to dissociate and get into a false reality mm-hmm. uh, as a way of sidestepping or somehow trying to medicate the difficulties of real life. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to porn to do that. Right. So we're meeting more and more uh, young men who have forsaken life, career, education, uh, relationships, marriages mm-hmm. for something like, for example, gaming. Yeah. It's another, right? Yeah. It's another another form of virtual experience where uh, you can experience uh, adventure. Of course, it's it's... Uh, it's, <laughs> it's imagined adventure. It's, yeah. It's virtual, uh, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. You can, uh, experience success. You can build some notoriety, uh, all without taking the risk of real connection mm-hmm. Yeah, and meeting the need that basic human need that all of us have. Yeah. And so what feels like a solution actually becomes a contributor to the problem. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, we're working on uh, maybe getting some folks on the program who can really speak well to that. Um, yeah. Because I, I will tell you, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you brought that up, Nate, because I have three guys right now, three clients that are between mm-hmm. the ages of 19 and 23. Uh-huh. And the story, you could just almost insert each person's name into the, into Uh the same uh narrative because, um, you know, uh, early in college, um, began to withdraw, uh, as far as, you know, behavior began to not be quite so, um, communicative at home. School was kicking their ass and, uh, relationships and, and social, uh, experiences were not, uh, did not come easy to them. Right, and right, right. Uh, so as they began to withdraw, they began to up their technology time. And, and uh, right. some of it was porn. Some of it's a lot of it is gaming. Yeah. And um, to the point that, you know, I had one guy tell me, he said, I wouldn't even leave my dorm room to eat until I got so hungry that I absolutely just could not stay yeah. in there because yeah. I, I wouldn't leave my bed and I would game for hours and hours and hours. And I wasn't going to class. I wasn't, yeah, um, right. you know, and the depression, of course, follows that. And the gaming is an escape for some of the angst and depression. And right. it just becomes this cycle to the point that, you know, they had failed out of school and had to come home unannounced <laughs> to mom and dad, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. I, I'm back yeah, yeah. and here's what I've been doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, um, 
I, I had somebody say, you know, well, at least, you know, he wasn't into porn, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I don't know if his brain really knew the difference. I mean, we right. can, you know, exactly. talk, you know, we can talk the moral high ground of porn or not porn <laughs> or whatever, you know, but, yeah, yeah. uh, but the reality is, is that, is that this person needed to be somebody else was not okay with being themselves and right. and once that slope and that depression, which had already you know reared its head somewhat, uh, once they found that portal, you know through yeah. escape in technology, um, right. it was as powerful uh, as porn or anything else. Right, right, right. So, right, right. sure, yeah, it doesn't have to begin. Another form of technology addiction, I think, that is huge and just ravaging uh, the culture is simply social media. Sure. And one of the major. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, I really can't function in the real world, but I can build an identity online mm -hmm. and I can make connections that are completely safe because I'm never actually going to meet these people and I can control how I appear. Uh, and if it gets too difficult, I can block them, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, but I can withdraw from real life and it seems in the moment to meet my need for connection, but of course it doesn't. Right. And it really it just doesn't. invites a lot of comparative thinking, you know? Right. It, so it drives my shame. Mm -hmm. It drives my feelings of inferiority. Mm -hmm. It drives. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another one. Here's another one. Productivity tools. For those of us who are uh, driven to produce, to excel, to perform, whether it's in very often it's in, often it's in business mm -hmm. or in, in career. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So now I am, uh, I am so connected to LinkedIn yeah. to anything that might, that, that might feed my career. And, uh, I cannot, I compulsively have to sit on my, uh, email because mm -hmm. I can't, there's, there's no way in hell I can miss an email. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I think that um, a lot of these a lot of these escapes are when we're not okay being us, you know. Yes. And when yeah. life gets overwhelming, um, obviously these little you know techno portals that we can rabbit yeah. holes we can dive into, whether it's you know social media observing other people's lives, and I've created the life I want to present to the world. You know, right, right, right. Um, and the family I want to present to the world, or whatever, um, mm -hmm. and uh, in or gaming where I become a character. You know, mm -hmm. I, I told one of the guys that uh, I'm working with right now in this respect. Uh, we were talking about connection and creating connection, and yeah. um, I said I want you to go somewhere where you have to be you, called by your name, not by a character, not by something you invented, not by a perception, but where you have to right. where you have to be you and get right. okay with being you because um, not wanting to be you, I think is part of what's sending you down these um, rabbit holes yeah. for long periods of time. And, you know, yeah. we're experiment, we experiment with a 30 day abstinence of, you know, abstaining from technology for people yeah. to start out with uh, when we were working with them, because uh, there's not uh, a detox necessarily for uh, gaming or there are few and far between. 
Um, yeah. They're, yeah. they're coming up and there are some treatment centers that are coming up that are now treating that. But um, yeah. all that considered, yeah, it's a great, it's a great topic. And, um, you know, just, uh, but, but I applaud these guys for, you know, asking for help because they know yeah. that the life they were experiencing isn't sustainable. Um, you know, you, you cannot have a productive adult life and, uh, you know, be on a screen behind a screen 14 hours a day. It's unless yeah. you work at NASA or something, I guess. But Hey, I, I don't know if you've picked up Johan Hari's latest book. Of course, we love Johan Hari. Right. Uh, you know, he, the, the guy who famously coined the quays, uh, that the opposite of addiction is connection. Right. Uh, his latest book is called Stolen Focus. Oh, I haven't gotten that. Yeah. And he actually took a six month uh, break from technology. Radical break. No email. Wow. Not going online. Uh, it, and it was not easy. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was very difficult just to detach from everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the struggle just to buy a phone that does not connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. The only one he was able to find was some <laughs> phone created for old folks had giant buttons on it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and then getting to a place where he was disconnected and it was funny. I mean, he was very, very, it's a wonderful book, but he talks about, you know, by day three, even though he knows the phone does not connect to the internet, you know, there's still a part of his brain that's still trying to make it do that. You know? uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But, ex- but experiencing slowing down and getting back into, uh, into real life. Yeah. Uh, wonderful book. I, I, I highly recommend it. Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a great thing. Um, I'll have to look I'll have to look that up because that, that is interesting. All right. Hey, we've got a great guest this week who is working uh, in more uh, traditional uh, uh, phases of recovery and treatment, but has a great mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a wonderful, inspiring uh, story from a great lady. You're going to love this when we return on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, you've reached out there in the neighborhood, in the Nashville neighborhood, to one of your, uh, to, to, uh, to co- uh, I don't know if we can actually call Tracy a coworker. I don't know how closely you guys collaborate, but you're at least kind of in the same sphere. You know each other. You run into the same people. Uh, Take a moment, will you, and introduce our guest. Yeah, Tracy Levine is our guest today, and she is uh, the director, executive director of Healing House, which is uh, a a really cool program uh, for women here in uh, the Middle Tennessee area, which will let her you know, be the expert to tell us more about Healing House and her work there. But uh, our paths have crossed as uh, recovery coaches and people working in uh, mental health with uh, people with uh, substance use disorders and other uh, issues. And and Tracy and I have been part of the same uh, meetings in a lot of places at the same time, doing different things from, you know, interventionists to nonprofits to whatever. So, uh, Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. 
So, uh, Tracy, uh, one of our favorite questions of guests is to kind of ask this open-ended question. How in the world did you get into this line of work? <laughs> uh, usually there's a kind of an interesting backstory that brings people to working uh, in this area. So if you don't mind, uh, tell us yours. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and it's funny, at, at as approaching 60, um, and with, um, I've got some years behind me in terms of abstinence and my own recovery story. It's funny mm-hmm. that I didn't find this path sooner, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it, it happens when it happens. And, um, I was lucky enough to, to start work in this field, particularly as executive director of healing housing in 2018. Um, wow. but, but I, I think really, you know, my story, like so many of us, is from my own recovery mm-hmm. and um, my passion for um, really having a front seat of watching people find and grasp recovery and seeing what happens when, um, when people find their way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, from both an observational standpoint, from a cheerleading standpoint, and then of course, being able so much to relate to what, uh, to what women are going through, um, along the way. Um, and I think again, that common bond of brokenness with addiction and where we start and where we can go. So I'm, I'm, I'm honestly very interested in the disease. I continue to be interested in the disease, both from my mm-hmm. own personal, um, you know, interest and in how it affects myself, my family, family of origin, generational, um, but then also how I see it here um, as an advocate for women working so hard to, um, to pull out of the, the grips of the disease and, and move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Tracy, you came to Middle Tennessee um, how many years ago now? And were, are you from California? Is that where you're hailing from? Actually, I'm a Midwest girl. Oh, okay. Um, wow. California was one of the beautiful stops that I'm grateful for. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. uh, on my journey, um, that's where I got sober, actually. Um, uh, actually, yes. And so, you know, uh, that was a, a, a beautiful part in my life, but I spent 16 years in California and then moved to Nashville in 2012. Before that, it was the Midwest. It was, um, New York, Boston. So, um, mm-hmm. but, but a better part of my time was spent in California. And like I said, that's where I got sober myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know we can't do anybody's recovery work for them. Everybody has to do their own. Uh, but we can help along the way. We can smooth the way a bit. We can warn people about the obstacles uh, ahead, kind of prep them for the challenges they're going to have to face. And there are some things that we can do to remove unnecessary obstacles and make it uh, improve their chances of success. Uh, I- I'm wondering, uh, you work with women. Would you say that there are obstacles of recovery that typically uh, women encounter more often than men? And if so, what are they? Well, that's that's interesting um, looking at sort of the, the gender part of it. I think what I would, my first response would be children. 
Mm. Um, many of women, um, you know, as um, the caretaker of the family, the breadwinner and um, uh, for many of our women who are single, um, yeah. certainly the obstacle is what do I do with my kids? Yeah. And are my kids safe? And the struggle of, you know, I was with a woman just this week who, you know, just very weepy about missing her six-year-old daughter. Um, so mm. trying to keep a woman engaged in recovery with that pull, I yeah. do think is um, not dissing any dads, but I do think with our women and serving women with no financial resources, most of them are the single breadwinners. And so children are a big reason why they don't um, probably engage in recovery sooner. Or oh, maybe yeah. what get pushes them out the door quicker in sober living. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you find, uh, Tracy, that women are, um, uh, how am I asking this? Women are uh, also, when, when their kids are grown, for instance, and, and gone, uh, do you find that some for some women who have made their life uh, around the home, that they lose some identity and that that impacts their sobriety in some way? Um, very interesting question. And, you know, um, I do, I'm like quickly going through my Rolodex of women that we've served here at Healing Housing. And I can think of one woman specifically that I remember that being um, a part of their story. And I'm even thinking in the rooms for myself, what I really feel like mostly where what I'm engaged with is women who um, have younger children uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. for the most part here. And so, um, you know, an addiction was part of their story um, very early on. Most of the women at Healing Housing have really been through, you know, what we re- what really refer to as the hamster wheel, you know, in and out of, so of um, rehab. Most of them have not experienced sober living because again, I think what we were talking about in terms of um, being responsible for children, um, so most of them have not had the time or the opportunity to just put recovery first. Yeah. And I really feel like that's the secret sauce here in terms of sober living of what we do, because um, again, we serve the underserved here at Healing Housing. And what we say um, particular to our group of women is um, who, who, who again come from, I think, generational poverty. I'm, I'm speaking uh, broad mm-hmm. for the most part are women yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and no one has ever said, stop, don't work. Um, put your kids on hold and let's, let's place your recovery first and foremost. And we're going to support that by giving you nine weeks at no cost here. We're going to take care of um, getting you to your doctor, getting a physical, let's check your teeth. Um, let's get a full psychiatric evaluation. Many of our women have co-occurring disorders. So mental health, Uh um, like most of us, um, you know, has that been addressed? Has, are you working with a diagnosis that is, you know, from many years past, was it given, uh, during detox, you know, (laughs) five years ago, like where are we at here? Mm -hmm. So we, we start from scratch and the difference is we pay for it all here. Um, wow. The money wow. that I raise goes directly to cover what I really observed and saw were cracks in the system um, 
with women for with uh, folks who are underserved, you know, um, coming with no financial resources. Mm-hmm. And how do these women come to you? How do they find you? Are they sent to you through the judicial system? Uh, are they referred by therapists? Is uh, how do these women find their way to healing housing? We are a door to door service. Uh-huh. So our um, referral partners um, that that most of I'm sure our listeners were and both of you know of um, are in the area. Next door being one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say 75% of the women come to us through Next Door. Um, we have some okay. from Buffalo Valley, Mirror Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do work with the judicial system. We work very closely with um, and love working with um, 21st District Recovery Court. So when they have a woman that needs housing, um, they uh, are putting them typically through Samaritan. And then um, we're doing the screening um, while they're there and getting ready to have a bed ready for them, groceries delivered, everything ready so that when they get here, um, they are are getting off on on the right foot. Wow. So talk to us about healing housing. Uh, Are these communal living arrangements or are we setting women up in apartments? And what do you do with with the mother of young children? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking about healing housing. As you, I'm sure you can tell, I am a. <laughs> <laughs> I love what I do, and I love healing housing. And um, so we are sober living for um, capacity of 18 women. We okay. have two two houses here in Franklin that are side by side. Um, I'm sitting in one of our. This is our little uh, meditation counseling room that we use. Um, okay. We make very good use of the two homes that we have. Um, it is all co-living spaces, so no one has their own bedroom. We don't have that okay. luxury here. Um, all bathrooms are shared. Um, mm-hmm. We max out the space, but follow all guidelines that um, go for um, uh, through the Tennessee Association of Recovery Residences. So, um, you know, everyone here, actually, when they come to Healing Housing, can't believe that um, they have been gifted the opportunity to be here. So the accommodations are clean and neat and beautiful and, um, and shared. Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 And how does, um, how many women can you accommodate in one uh, particular space? So as far as each house, um, you know, we follow the regulations for, for zoning here. So each, each of our houses can hold eight participants and then one senior peer. So we have okay. 18 total and um, the the layout of each home is a little different. This house actually, um, it's so funny to talk to locals, but this house was actually, I believe, a Christian boys camp before we came to it. Mm, and so no. it has two enormous bedrooms. And so we have four twin beds in each of those. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And then there is staff accommodations. There is bedroom for staff here, um, two other bedrooms. We do have 24-7 care, um, round-the-clock care for the women. Um, we're very structured, sober living. The women have a 6 p.m. work curfew. You know, as all of us, we learn we learn as we, as we go. You know, our nonprofit, we're celebrating our fifth year of service this year and um, of our doors being open to accept women and We've learned so much. 
Um, and God bless the women that were early on with us. You know, we've, um, we certainly continue to improve each year. And one of the big things we learned is that, um, you know, working is an addiction too. And so without mm-hmm. a work curfew, we had women working two jobs and then funny enough, no one had time for meetings or sponsor right. meetings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so we, we instituted the 6 p.m. work curfew, which um, is great. Then we do all of our programming, meeting requirements are all done in the evening. Wow. Wow. And how does a woman qualify for the care? We, fortunately, because of our relationships with, within the area, and we've also had women come to us from um, recovery residences outside the state. You do not have to be a resident of Tennessee to qualify to be in our program really the biggest criteria are making sure that we can accommodate um, the mental health diagnosis. Um, the, we, we're really not set up to take folks on mat, um, medically assisted treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do not have a nurse on duty here, uh, nor a doctor. All of the, the services that we provide to the women are contracted out and we are paying for those. So we mm-hmm. have wonderful relationships with psychiatric nurse practitioner, with therapists, and we contract out care. Um, all of staff here is, um, I should say now two of us are um, also working towards our LADAC um, credentials. So we're clinically supervised. So we all handle case management here and and counseling. But really, back to your original question, in terms of qualifying, our our um, referral partners for the most part are very educated. Unless someone, you know, like all work industry, we have changing uh, folks. But it's a pretty well oiled machine as to who qualifies for us. I would have to say financial resources willingness because again the women that we take are given a tremendous opportunity here we want to make sure that um, they're really ready to commit it's a six month to one year program six month minimum and so um, and again you know can't say it enough we serve the underserved so if you have financial resources we uh, and can pay for sober living um, we refer you elsewhere. We want to help the women that do not have and have never had that um, as part of their story. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, friends, David and I are pleased to welcome to the podcast a new sponsor, Soberlink. And we're positive that you're going to love this tool for managing your alcohol recovery. In early sobriety, we often focus on what we're losing instead of what we're gaining. Soberlink, you're gaining increased accountability, a deterrent against drinking, and a tool to help you stay connected with people who care. Here's what it is. It's a really high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones. In case there's ever a slip, your treatment professional or anyone else you've chosen to be in your recovery circle will know immediately. Uh, More important than the technology is the brand. It is part of Soberlink's mission to break the stigma that surrounds addiction, which is why they partner with Positive Sobriety Podcast and many others in the recovery community. It's also why they specifically focus on using alcohol monitoring as a recovery tool, not for criminal or recreational purposes. 
There, any, there isn't anything like it on the market. Well, together we've developed a guide called Tips for Keeping a Positive Outlook on Sobriety. And you can download it at www.soberlink.com PSP. That PSP is for Positive Sobriety Podcast. On that page, you'll also find a form to request $50 off your purchase when you're ready to try Soberlink. And meanwhile, you're out there uh, raising funds uh, that you, you get to do that job, uh, finding people with a heart and a vision for this kind of work. I, I want to ask you a personal question, if I can. Please. And actually, it's, it, it's very personal because uh, in some ways I, I see myself, I'm sure David sees himself working kind of in parallel with what you're doing. We found our way from addiction and recovery into service. Uh, so I, I want to ask, how important is this work, this service work that you find? Uh, how important is that to the maintenance of your own sobriety? And are there any risks associated to your own sobriety? Uh, risks associated with service? I mean, are, are there landmines to somebody who's working with others when it comes to maintaining your own recovery? What a fantastic question. Um, and I know for myself, I've heard it in the rooms many times over, like, don't mistake working in the business for your own recovery uh -huh. yeah. and what you need to do to maintain your recovery. Um, I would be a liar if I told you that after working with women all day, starting my day in morning meditation, doing group, um, you know, group facilitated workshops around addiction at night that um, that I was excited to go to a, my 12-step meetings and to meet with my sponsor. There's very little <laughs> in the tank. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Want to talk about it anymore after hours, but man, is that a common trap that we fall into. Right. Um, and you know, we, you all, you both, we hear it over and over again. Like, um, and I have to say, you know, I call my sponsor and I get, I get refreshed because that's about me. Like I just have to remember, um, you know, service, you know, we, we have to take our recovery um, um, selfishly, you know, like I, I mm -hmm. have to remember to put that first. Otherwise I am in, I am of no good to the women here. And I also mm -hmm. just feel like even for my own recovery journey, you know, there was a moment in time, there was many moments, <laughs> Um, and I can say this because it's a safe space to say it, but you know, I struggled with, am I an alcoholic? Am I not an alcoholic? You know, mm -hmm. as we do, right? Uh -huh. Like every day, right. I don't know, maybe I'm really not, I can go Monday through Friday without Friday. I'm loaded till Sunday. <laughs> um, but like, is that really an alcoholic? Um, yeah. okay. I have, I had periods of abstinence. So it's like always this, you know, this head game that I played with myself, but you know, for me and my story, it was really important that my children did not see me drunk. And uh, yeah. I, the, the, what it was taking, the energy it was taking to disguise that, um, 
for me was a real moment of clarity um, of like, I, I just can't do this anymore. This is, this is taking up way too much headspace. So for me too, I don't know how I could represent this organization without doing what I'm asking others to do. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you catch me not doing that, I, then I need to retire from this job. Um, mm -hmm. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How do you keep uh, from taking all this home with you, Tracy? I know most of us that hear hard stories all day long. Um, it's sometimes hard to close the door on that. How do you how do you manage that kind of self-care? Yeah. Um, man, and you're hitting me on a day where I got to tell you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we picked the good days, you know, <laughs> literally. Literally uh, today it was just uh, like driving, just going, man. And you know what I do with my coworker is a lot of times I say, tell me a good story. Remind me of a good story. Remind me of a win. I need to hear of a win. Tell me somebody yeah. that you met with today that said something. And like, I, I just like, I need, you know, I need that, that, that shot to keep me going yeah. because, yeah. you know, the truth is, you know, we do a great job and, and I, I know you guys do, like I scratch my head, you know, women graduate our program and you know what they, some of them relapse, guess what? Yeah. And you're mm -hmm. just like, dang, man, her story was so good and she did so great. And, you know, did we need, did we need step down housing? Was it the, you know, was it the structure? And it's, um, it, that hurts. Like it's, I, I would, mm -hmm. again, I would be a liar if I said that didn't hurt. Mm -hmm. It stinks so bad. Um, yeah, but damn, that's the nature of this disease, isn't it? It's right. It's right. It involves right. chronic cycles of relapse. Like, I, I don't know any way around that with this disease. Like, yeah. Uh -huh. And yeah. I guess we wouldn't yeah. be in, I guess, you know, There'd be no need for healing housing if it didn't, maybe. I don't know, you know. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But you've just yeah. pointed out um, the absolute uh, necessity of our sharing with one another experience, strength, and hope, right? Absolutely. Uh, right. Without requiring always to have uh, 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 somebody always have an upbeat story. We have to be able to be honest about the failures and the difficulties and the disappointments and the relapses at the same time, uh, never losing sight of uh, the good things that are going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there wow. a... So what, no, go, no, ahead, go ahead, David. Um, I'm just wondering what your vision is for Healing House, where you see it going from here. You've got two houses. Uh, is there is there more on the horizon? What are you seeing? Well, I, I will say this, that um, our numbers are really good. Our retention rate is really good. Um, mm -hmm. We, I think that with each year that we're in business again, we just keep make, we just keep dialing in things that are showing improvement. And mm -hmm. I, I think that money is a barrier to seeking treatment. I think um, that we, we have really... You know, we've taken sort of the thistle farms and I and I will give I will take my hat off to Becca Stevens for yeah. um, lavishly 
I think this disease and especially the women we serve at Healing Housing, um, we can't love enough and um, we can't help hold space for the healing and 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 put aside no matter how busy my day is for a, a person who comes down the stairs crying because they just um, were turned down, you know, the, the ability to see their child um, like that space you know, despite every clinical um, letter, what we can get beside our name, I say this over and over again, to me, it's the cracks. It's, it's the, it's the me running upstairs to go to the bathroom or grabbing a cup of coffee and someone's in the kitchen and I say, how's your day? How's it going? And we talk like that. There needs to be a whole lot of that and probably yes. not just an addiction, but just connectivity in the world. Yeah time for one another, listening. I don't need to fix anything. I literally just need to hold space with somebody. And there can't be too many houses. There can't be too, like too many bedrooms. There can't like, we just need more and more of it. And our wait list, you know, continues to grow the need. Um, you know, I don't know if it's COVID if it's healing housing's name has has you know there's more people that know about us if it's the combination but you know um and and i think you know we we got the best price in town um (laughs) you know i think i think that you know there's always going to be more need and i absolutely hope that we will grow if I'm going to be honest about challenges right now too, um, finding staff, you know, um, to grow and thinking as an organization, like with any business scaling up, that's, those are concerns for me. I feel like as an intimate, small group, like any, you know, small business, like we're really hands-on. I have fears about growing too fast about, um, the work that we can do, but, I would love to see us grow, Nate and David. I would love to see us grow. I think I think we need more of this. I my hats off to all of our, the colleagues in the business who are doing this work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we refer, we call mending hearts, we call, um, you know, who's got a bed, who can help this person out. Like, there just can't be too many of us. And I I certainly hope that we I I you know. Um, our program director always said the hardest part of my job is turning people down. And that remains to be like the worst when somebody's saying, please, please, please is, will there be a bed bed available? I hate that. That just feels so wrong to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Tracy, you mentioned the, um, uh, you know, the, the post, uh, post healing house life uh, for these ladies. What, um, what do you have in place for people? Um, is, is there a program after they, after they move on from healing housing and these women can go into real life? Um, is there some follow-up that happens as well? Or how, how is that handled? It's funny. We're just working on our annual report. And when we're listing, what are our challenges um, this is definitely one of them because affordable ho- housing, ha ha. Um, mm-hmm. we even oh, yeah. healing housing. So when women come into our program, they, um, 
it is a requirement after nine weeks that they have full-time employment. And we actually have a wonderful relationship with Uprise Nashville. So if they want to go to school, we actually pay them a stipend to go to school for vocational training to get them out of um, of jobs that don't provide 401k benefits, insurance, upward mobility, because we see that as cyclical with them raising their children. So like we right. have these great educational, vocational opportunities for them. We have employment partnerships. So once they're on the road and they're making money, they pay 125 to live with us. $75 of that is put into a savings account for them. When they graduate our program, if they stay six months, we're talking roughly $1,500. But, you know, three years ago, f- five years ago, like that could have done something. Um, yeah, right. But right. like, I mean, like I've got a woman right now that, um, that has a great job opportunity. Um, but it's, it's third shift, um, at a hospital pays great. Everything's great, but she misses our work curfew. And so we're trying to find placement for her in next step housing, um, here in Williamson County. And I mean, there's wait lists everywhere I turn and I'm not telling anybody here anything new. Like if you're trying to rent a place, regardless of, I don't care yeah. what kind of money you're making. It's a challenge right now. Yeah. Um, but for these women, it's an extra challenge. And so ideally, kind of answering two of your questions, what I would love to have is affordable next step, less structured housing, where we have a case manager um, that is checking in with doing some random drug testing. Um, you know, uh, they can have their kids um, that, that like, that's a huge dream of mine. And I think that we would be, we would be helping in terms again of continued retention longer term. I think the numbers would be in our favor if we could provide that. So uh, we don't have that. Um, we need that. Um, but we are a nonprofit. So, I mean, I, every single thing is about raising money and, you know, writing grants and, um, yeah. Yeah. Partnerships. Yeah. And where does a lot of your funding come from? So, um, I will say thank you to the many wonderful foundations that have supported us. Um, we literally went from $3,000 our first year, um, of, of having our doors open with a funding from community, um, foundation of middle Tennessee to last year, $318,000 in grant funding. So huge increase that we're so glad now foundations are recognizing us and the work that we're doing as being, um, they're seeing the, they're seeing the good work that we're doing and and they're showing they're, they're supporting us. So that's fantastic. We have monthly contributors. Thank you. I tell them they're there, how I sleep good at night. They're like my, (laughs) because I know that's going to be there every month. And thank you. Thank you. Um, individual donors whose generosity you know, continues to support and, um, and, and hold and carry us. We, um, have our biggest and only fundraiser of the year coming up in April, love breakfast. I'm going to throw in, a my, uh, my, my call for that love dash breakfast.org. Um, we raise, um, you know, a good portion of what sets us up for the year off of that one, um, fundraising event. 
And so, you know, someday another dream would be to come become licensed by the state. I know the state supports um, uh, through revenue uh, programs like ours. Um, licensing is a big is a big um, takes a lot. And we've been working at it for uh, close to a year now and still working at trying to become licensed. Well, in addition to going to loving-breakfast.org, what are ways that our uh, listeners connect, can connect with you and what you're doing at Healing Housing? Well, certainly go to our website, um, healinghousing.org, visit us there, sign up for our newsletter. You know, we are always posting ways to get involved, ways you can help us out. Um, like I said, events such as, as Love Breakfast, um, all that's posted on our website, ways to sign up as a monthly donor a one-time gift, um, you know, our volunteers, gosh, we've had this, this band of volunteers. They say they prayed for us before the doors were ever open and they mm-hmm. have stood by us. I mean, and these are folks, it's just so interesting. Um, you know, many of them who had no experience with addiction, um, you right. know, didn't know, but saw a need in our community and supported it. And uh, gosh, I just, um, I honestly am amazed. Um, yeah, for the people who had, you know, Olivia, Olivia Mullen, who had the vision, I think you knew her, David, or I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, Olivia, my gosh, had nothing to do with she's, she's not in recovery herself. She just was in a, a prison ministry and met a woman who had suffered with addiction and was going to be released and had no place to go except uh, because of financial resources, except the home where her addiction was alive and well, and her folks were using and siblings, and she was scared to death to go back. So thank you to those folks. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation, Uh, inspiring and informative. Thank you so much, Tracy, for taking time today to talk with us. Well, I thank uh, you it, both. And, you know, you provide um, um, uh, positive uh, podcasts for our women to listen to here, and it means the world to them. Um, so thank you for what you do. And again, you know, we might not be connected in person, but I feel it. I feel it through the airwaves here, and I'm so grateful. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks awesome. so much, Tracy, for making time. I really appreciate that. Thank you both. All right. And listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Um, Nate, I have so much respect for Tracy and the work that mm-hmm. they do there uh, at Healing Housing. I, um, I had the I had the privilege of going out and speaking one day to the ladies in the house uh, for their, they have a morning um, kind of morning uh, check-in there. And I got to go speak with the women there and um, just remarkable, remarkable stories, remarkable women, um, a, a great program where people are really engaged in being supported, um, being known, um, mm-hmm. having a voice, learning to find their voice. I mean, it's all of that. And, yeah. um, I was just really, really moved by the things that I heard and saw while I was there, uh, beautiful home, beautiful place. Um, just really, really good work that they're, that they're doing in that, in that space. And uh, well, this is a 
big revelation to me, David, because as you know, I lived in Franklin for 22 years, just sold the, just sold the house back in November. Yeah. Uh, and here's, uh, healing housing in Franklin, Tennessee. And mm-hmm. somehow I didn't even know it was there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, yeah. and they, they walk that fine line between, um, you know, how do we, how do we get our message out there to the world and still protect the, uh, you know, to some degree, the anonymity of the people yeah, in, yeah. involved. So, sure. right, you know, right. they're not putting, uh, you know, to, at least to my knowledge, they're not putting addresses uh, right, 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 out right. in their materials and things like that. So you'd have to kind of know where to, who to ask to where to look to find yeah, that yeah, house, yeah. you know, but, yeah, 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 yeah. but the program is, is certainly uh, circulated and a lot of nonprofits and churches um, are aware of, of their work uh, for people that are coming through their their doors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but they're, but they're, they're kind of, uh, they're a little under the radar. Um, and I think that's, you know, kind of intentional. Yeah. And I, I work with guys. So perhaps if, uh, I were working with women, uh, I would have, I'm certainly, I would have heard about them before, but what a great inspiring story. And I, I think David, this just underlies the point that we make over and over and over again, that, uh, positive sobriety has a whole lot to do with, you know, first of all, doing our own work and doing self-care, doing positive things for self-care, but also looking outward and serving others, mm-hmm. finding a way uh, to contribute uh, to the recovery of others, learning how to love love ourselves to begin with and love others as well in tangible ways. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, of course, we, we had the uh, advantage of seeing Tracy on video as we did the uh, uh, interview and just to be able to see the smile on her face. She talks about her work. It's clear. Yeah. She has found her place. She's found a groove. This is where she should be at this point in her life. And it's all part of the redemption story for the years that she lost to addiction. Yeah. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Hey, before we go, uh, do remind us, will you about our legacy sponsor, uh, better help. I will. Uh, we are very happy to have BetterHelp.com as a sponsor for the podcast. BetterHelp.com is a place where you can go online and receive uh, licensed uh, mental health uh, work through a licensed uh, practitioner. Uh, BetterHelp.com slash positive sobriety will get you a 10% discount on your sign up and also allow us to know if our resources are uh, being helpful to you and um, and something that you can avail yourself to. But BetterHelp.com is an opportunity for you to get uh, online therapy with everything from anxiety, depression, to uh, all the other uh, reasons you would need to go to a, a, a traditional therapy session. So in the privacy of your own home, your own car, wherever it is that you feel safe talking with someone, you can have the same licensed practitioner every time you have a visit. Uh, And if that person isn't the perfect match for you, we can always see you with another therapist uh, without any penalties or charges or changes. So uh, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and get your 10% off uh, your initial sign up and let us know that uh, you're able to take advantage of these great um, opportunities. Beautiful, beautiful. And as always, we love to hear from our listeners. You can reach us at Positive Sobriety Podcast at gmail.com.
Well, David, there it is, another one in the books. And uh, as I look uh, look ahead uh, down the calendar, plenty more to come. Uh, that's right. Got some yeah. good, good things ahead. Uh, well, that's it for this week. Until next week, then. I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 